Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
I can't believe I'm sharing this, and if anyone finds out, I might end up in jail. But the truth needs to be told, even if it's only recorded in the confines of a journal. It all happened in a war-torn city near Mariupol, Ukraine, a place shredded by the merciless claws of conflict. We, a Navy SEAL team, were thrust into the heart of this chaos on a mission shrouded in secrecy. Our orders were clear, secure a key location, a biolab held by enemy Russian forces. This wasn't something you'd find on the evening news, it was a covert operation, off the record. As we moved deeper into the city, the eerie silence was broken only by the distant echoes of explosions and the occasional scream. War has a way of stripping away the humanity from a place. The buildings loomed over us like silent witnesses to the atrocities that had unfolded within these streets. We pressed forward, our senses on high alert, navigating the labyrinth of destruction. The city had become a playground for death, and the enemy was everywhere, lurking in the shadows. As we neared the biolab, the air became thick with tension. We had no idea what we were about to face. The intel hinted at experiments gone wrong, twisted creations born out of the macabre fusion of science and war. And then, we saw them, possessed individuals, human-like creatures that moved with an unnatural grace. The creatures weren't alone. From the biolab, Russian forces emerged, their faces obscured by a cold determination that sent shivers down my spine. It was as if they had harnessed the very essence of fear to command these abominations. The battle unfolded in a chaotic symphony of gunfire and guttural roars. Our team fought with the precision drilled into us, but these creatures were relentless. It was a gruesome dance between life and death. Each pull of the trigger echoed with the weight of our collective fear, a fear we couldn't allow to consume us. After what felt like an eternity, we emerged victorious, the bodies of the creatures and fallen enemies sprawled around us like a testament to the horrors we had just faced. With cautious steps, we approached the biolab's entrance, a portal to the unknown. Inside, the air was stale, and the walls seemed to whisper secrets of forbidden experiments. We secured a vial containing a mysterious virus, a potential weapon of unimaginable destruction. Little did we know the true extent of its power. Back in the safety of our base, our superior delivered a chilling message. We were to remain silent about what we witnessed. The government didn't want the world to know about the dark experiments conducted in that war-torn city. The truth was to be buried, and we were left to carry the weight of that silence, haunted by the memories of a secret war fought in the shadows. In early to mid-October of 1981, I was 17 years old and working weekends in Fayetteville, a town 28 miles from Sillam Springs where I lived. I usually left for work around 5.30 in the morning driving the old Highway 68 towards Fayetteville. One morning, as I approached Fairmount Road, I noticed something by the bridge. At first, I thought it was a coyote or a large dog scratching around with its back legs. However, as I got closer, I realized it was not, it was actually a Sasquatch. The Sasquatch was reddish-brown in color, and I could see that its face area had almost no hair, with a skin tone lighter than the rest of its body. 
It looked up at me as I passed over the bridge. My car, a Volkswagen Bug, had dim lights, and the Sasquatch seemed startled. I glanced into the rearview mirror to see it jump up and run across the road. It moved with long strides, surprisingly quickly. The creature was tall, perhaps close to seven feet, and thinner than I would have expected. When I first noticed it, the Sasquatch appeared to be digging at the ground next to the bridge. The motion it used was similar to what primates do. However, the way it moved across the road was more human-like. I was on patrol as a deputy sheriff for the county and was usually assigned to the Highway 13 and Highway 30 corridors. However, I recall that particular July 1st however that a young man, 16 or 17 year old, had been sucked into a storm drain which emptied into Cedar Lake near the Quaker Oats plant. This is a place with heavy foot traffic and located in an urban setting the area is also bordered by Mohawk Park. As the search went on, into the night, the local PD got the county involved. I parked my cruiser at what I believe was the electric company storage yard. The yard had what I estimated to be a 10-foot fence that ran parallel to a paved bike trail on the other side of which runs a large concrete spillway to siphon off flood waters. I arrived at what I estimate to be roughly 11.30 p.m. to 11.45 p.m. I estimate only because I assure you there never was, nor will be, an official statement or record with my name on it telling this story. As I left the lot I was at the north end of the lake and headed west on foot there was a lot of brush and saplings between the spillway and trail so I proceeded on to the point the trail turned south near where Cedar Lake empties into the Cedar River under the railroad tracks leading into Quaker Oats. There are multiple tracks at the turn I mentioned before and only the track furthest from myself had a train on it. With my attention on the spillway, I hardly noticed at first a faint red-colored light a distance north from my position. It was coming down the track on the other side of the train. I had thought it perhaps the tail lights of a car, not being from that patrol route I had no knowledge that there was, in fact, no road in that direction. There ain't much things in the world that scare me, put simply I've seen some shit in my days. But nothing prepared me for that night. The lights disappeared and that was that or so I had figured. About five minutes passed before I hear a snorting almost sniffing sound coming from the other side of the tracks. When I turned the first thing I saw were the eyes. They glowed a dull red, the thing was at least 8 foot tall pushing 450 I judged this by the fact that I am 6 foot 4 and weight 280. I turned my light and to this day wish I hadn't. It had pointed ears and a long muzzle and it looked me right in the face before it bolted into the timber. It was not a mask and it was not, a person in a costume. Who would walk up on an armed man with a police radio in full uniform and risk getting shot? I remember it was surreal, so final I guess. I know what's in the dark now. People can say or think what they want but even with a chambered round and full magazine and a Glock 40 didn't feel like enough firepower. I unholstered and fell back toward the trail and to the electric company storage yard. Putting the fence to my back I made a hasty retreat to the lot with my cruiser. I don't think I holstered my pistol till I got out of the park. I never spoke of it then and honestly don't know why I am now but one thing is for certain it knew I was there and it was watching my every move.
I'll never go back and I no longer work with the department since becoming a minister. But I still carry a Glock with hollow point rounds tipped with silver if, and I rarely do, leave my home at night. Currently, I live in Bentonville, Arkansas. Right now, my dad owns his own business. One day, we got on the subject of Bigfoot. I was telling him that I had bought a little book of ghost stories and Bigfoot sightings, expressing my keen interest in Bigfoot. That's when he shared with me that he had seen Bigfoot before, recounting the whole story. Initially, I didn't believe him, but a couple of years later, he reiterated the same story when we revisited the topic. According to him, he was riding ATVs with his friends around or near Lost Bridge Lake over Beaver Lake. He was at the front of the group of four-wheelers, going down a hill that led to a dirt road. Since he was in the lead, he went down first, reached the dirt road, and stopped to wait for the rest of the group to catch up. While waiting, he looked over across the dirt road to the other side of the hill, where the evening sun was shining through the trees on the tree line. That's when he claimed to have seen Bigfoot walking. According to him, it took really big steps and appeared to be around 8 feet tall. He couldn't discern the color due to the sun shining through the trees, rendering Bigfoot as a shadow. When the rest of the group came down, he told them what he had seen, but they didn't believe him. That's the extent of the details he shared. He admitted he couldn't remember every detail but asserted that he still knew more than he told me. The reason I'm sharing this with you is that I'm currently learning about Bigfoot in our biology class at Bentonville High School. Our teacher, who is a marine biologist and a cryptozoologist, had the class watch the Bigfoot movie and The Legend of Boggy Creek. I live in rural Illinois and had been experiencing strange noises and activity around my house for a period of a couple months, when one night, at around 4 a.m., my dog started to act up, like she wanted to go out. So, I went to let her out. Before I did that though, I flipped on the back flood lights and peered out, through the mini blinds, because I had a weird feeling. When I did that, in the backyard, about 75 feet away from me, this wolf or dog or man-like thing was standing upright, on two legs, looking at my back door. It had a proportionally huge head, with pointed ears on top and I noticed an amber-colored eye shine. Its head was K9 in appearance, like a German shepherd or a wolf. It had broad, strong-looking shoulders, with accentuated deltoid muscles. Its torso was sunken in towards the abdomen, like a dog and it had no neck. Because of its massive head, it had an extreme, forward-leaning posture of around 60 degrees. It had thick, accentuated quad muscles in the front of its thighs that angled forward and tapered down to small knees. Below its knees, I could see that its lower legs angled back to hocks, just like a dog has. Because of its hocks, it looked like it could lean back on them, if it wanted to and leap or jump. Also, because of the way its legs looked, I got the impression it could jump and run very well. After a few moments of standing there, Looking at my back door, it turned and walked into the cornfield that was behind my property. As it walked into the cornfield, I could still see its head, over the top of the corn stalks, which were around 8 feet tall, at that time. 
Having such a clear view of it chilled me to the bone. In late November of 2000, my son and I were walking our terrier dog along Beaver Lake, searching for arrowheads. The shoreline was more extensive than usual due to the recent lack of rain. It was a sunny morning, with temperatures around 50 degrees, perfect sweatshirt weather. As we strolled, my dog began to follow a large and well-defined set of raccoon tracks along the lakeshore. The raccoon tracks led about 20 yards away from the water to an area of significant disturbance in the packed sandy soil, suggesting some kind of scuffle. Interestingly, the raccoon tracks intersected with two sets of human-like footprints originating from a nearby wood line. From the disturbance site, the human-type tracks returned to the wood line, while the raccoon tracks abruptly ceased to exist. Although we lacked a camera or tape measure, the larger set of tracks measured 16 to 17 inches in length and about 5 to 6 inches across at the ball of the foot. The smaller set, running parallel to the larger, were approximately 11 inches long and maybe 4 to 5 inches across at the ball. The larger tracks were impressed in the soil about 4 inches, while the smaller pair only a couple. These tracks appeared very flat. To provide a reference, I weigh 130 pounds, and my son weighs 180 pounds. Despite our weight, we left only faint impressions in the soil. We attempted to follow the tracks back the way they had come, but we lost sight of them in the forest, where the ground was firmer and covered with leaves. One final note, our terrier dog behaved unusually at the disturbance site, whining and acting distressed, defecating and urinating on the location, and attempting to cover it with sand and dirt. A friend of mine had moved south, to work with his uncle. Things didn't work out, so he called and wanted to know if I would pick him up, at the bus station, in Springfield. I told him, sure. The day he came back, his bus wasn't due until 1.30 am. When it showed up, he was starving, so we headed up the road, to steak and shake. While we were eating, some girls showed up, after a night of partying. We stayed around and talked with them, for a while. Well, by the time we left, Brian wanted to see if we could swing by one of his old girlfriend's houses, before she went to work. He wanted to see if he could stay with her, for a while. I didn't have anything to do the next day, so I told him that would be fine. She lived in Assumption. To get there, we headed back to Taylorville. Then, instead of heading on to Pana, where I lived, we would cut across, through the country, to get to Assumption. To do this, you have to go out by Bertinetti Lake. At that time, they had just started developing the place, for housing, so it was semi-rural, with woods around the lake and the road we were on. So, here we are driving and just about to cross a bridge, when this huge, canine-type thing comes running out of the woods, to our right. There were good-sized, freshly dug ditches on each side of the highway. This thing jumped from the bottom of the right ditch, cleared the highway, and landed on the backside of the left ditch. Then, it ran into the woods. It happened so fast, I didn't even have time to hit the brakes, before it was already gone. I know, some would say it was just a dog, that surprised us, but we both agreed, it was too big. Besides, 
I don't know of any dogs that can jump that far. I remember, it had gray and light brown fur. It was very bulky and muscular. It was also on all fours. We decided that we didn't need to hang around the area and sped up. We told our friends, but most just laughed it off. Whatever, we both knew what we saw. Years later, I was looking on the BFRO website. I saw there were two sightings reported, that took place, about a mile to the east, from where our encounter happened. When I first read the woman's report, years ago, she said it took off running, on all fours, and was wolf-like. I see now, someone has changed her story to sound more like a Bigfoot. However, her sighting and another reported after her say that this was where Highway 48 crosses the south fork of the Sangamon River. Follow the river back east, until you see Lincoln Trail Road. That is the bridge we were at. It seems like it uses the river bottom to stay hidden. Also, there are all kinds of housing additions there, now. I went to their community-wide garage sales there, a few times. It seems as though a lot of cats and dogs go missing in that area. Posters were up everywhere. Well, I know it was a little long-winded, but that was my encounter. I don't know what I saw. When I was like 15 years old, my family and I came home from the grocery store one evening. We lived outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin in Menominee Falls. My dad told me to unlock the door and that they'd get the stuff out of the trunk. When I entered my house I looked down the hallway and I saw a white figure. It almost glowed in the dark hallway. Out of fear I ran to my family and told my father I saw someone in the house. When my father went to check it out and then the rest of the house he told us he saw nothing. But later, something similar was seen by me. I saw a boy walking into the same hallway, the one I saw the white glowing figure, not much taller than me. His skin was also white and glowing but not as bright as the earlier figure. The boy had on a Milwaukee Brewers baseball cap. He was also wearing jeans. I don't remember what color his shirt was. I tried to talk to the boy thinking he was one of my brother's friends but he wouldn't answer. He turned into my parents and the door closed. I slowly opened the door and he wasn't anywhere. I checked under the bed, in the closet, and under the covers but I saw nothing. But later that night, I saw the same boy standing in the backyard as I watched from my bedroom window. He was staring away from me. Then he walked into the neighbor's years and out of sight. When I think back, I wish someone else was there to confirm what I saw just to be sure I know I wasn't imagining things. I moved from that house after I graduated from high school and never saw anything like that again. Both seemed more average-bodied. I'm from a small town in northern Wisconsin. I live out in a wooded area and last night November 9, 2023, I saw a huge white-tailed deer. How it got my attention it blew twice at me but, the minute it got my attention it turned around and kicked up its hind legs before disappearing. I didn't see it come in or leave. No matter how windy or dark it is, I can always make one out due to the yard light or my garage lights. This one was so hard to make out until it turned around. My grandpa used to love to hunt whether it was deer or moose. Could it maybe have been him in the form of a buck to let me know everything is okay? 
researching why it happened to me was confusing till I saw someone else who experienced this before me. Could it be a message to stay focused? I love deer and even before then, I saw a black wolf with tipped silver hair that glistened with blue eyes. I remember falling to my knees while it just sat at the end of my yard and then lying down by me. Could have that been the dog I lost as well. Is God sending me my animals for the steady reassurance that it will be okay? This incident happened around 9 years ago in 2014 during the summer. At that time, we lived in a small subdivision near Greensburg, Indiana, Decatur County. My house was in front of a small forest area, so the backyard is a large clearing with lots of trees behind it, which is bordered by a fence my father built. In the backyard, there is also a greenhouse and a shed. Behind the trees is a small trailer home park. I remember going outside on a cloudy day to get my dog since he was outside. He was outside for way longer than usual so I got worried and went to take a look. As I went down the balcony steps to go into the backyard my dog instantly ran towards the trees and started to bark. I looked up at the trees and saw a purplish colored humanoid figure about 6 feet tall with wings. The creature most likely saw me, and it climbed through the trees and bushes and attempted to fly up, but it couldn't since the trees were so thick. I ran up the stairs to the balcony and watched my dog continue to bark. The creature had disappeared so I was worried about where it had gone. I'm not sure what happened after this as my memory is quite foggy of this incident, but I'm guessing that I ran inside and hid. I have no idea what this was, but I was intrigued by the winged humanoid sightings in the Chicago area and thought I'd write you. The shade of this being was distinctly purple in color and the membrane wings were bat-shaped. The head was fairly large compared to the body, but that was the extent of any details that I could see. It never made any sounds. I didn't see the wings fully unfurled. My mom passed away one year ago. A few months after she passed away, I got a message from her account that just said my name and nothing else. I was on a walk when it happened and was very spooked by it of course and immediately went home. I logged into her account to check for suspicious activity, but didn't find anything out of the norm except for the message to me. There's also a way to check what devices are logged into your account and only the devices that I knew about were logged in. I asked two family members if they logged in and messaged me and they denied it and thought I was talking about someone making an account to look like her and then messaging me on it. I'm still very confused about the message. Of course, it could have been someone hacking her account, but I have no evidence that it was. Deep down, I want to believe that it's somehow her that messaged me, as if to tell me she's okay and still exists somewhere and somehow but I'm skeptical and I've never heard of something like this happening. I don't know what to think. I was with my friends, we were all in the car sitting waiting for another person to text us and tell us to head to their house. It was like 10pm so dark but not too late, and all the windows are down and we hear this short monotone whistle noise. Like somebody calling a dog? It wasn't too high-pitched and not lasting more than a couple seconds. Then 20 seconds later it happened again almost the same but different enough it couldn't have been a machine. 
Kept happening every 20 to 30 seconds everybody was terrified, but my superstitious friend said don't acknowledge it and we carried on our conversation and it seemed to go away but not for a few minutes. It was eerie, I don't think it was a human calling a dog or something like that because there didn't seem to be any urgency? But sort of sounded like it was communicating to something and it sounded maybe human. Not a bug or a coyote, I live in the PNW by the way. Last note, all of us heard it and it freaked all of us out. Like maybe it was just a really creepy bird but it felt like it was talking to or trying to find something and it was just one of those feelings that make your hair stand up. We weren't even way in the boonies just in a pretty rural area just outside town with lots of forest and not a lot of houses. My sister lives in an apartment complex and has been experiencing some wild things to say the least. It's to the point she has moved into an Airbnb till she can sublet a different place at the end of the semester. For context, a girl was murdered in her building in 2019, read Ashley Stewart College Station for info, Ashley, the girl, was murdered by her ex-boyfriend after her roommates left for a dance practice. They were watching movies together and they left, and upon returning found Ashley had been stabbed multiple times. The whole semester, she has been calling home, in tears telling us what's going on, she has had her hair pulled, things thrown at her, our mom was on FaceTime with her when a salt shaker flew out of the cabinet and hit her in the head, TVs turning on, deadbolts locking other roommates out, etc. She can't sleep and is nauseous all the time when she is home but when she leaves her apartment, she feels fine. This past weekend was the last straw. On Friday, one of her roommates had a boy over, and after telling him the situation, he was dismissive and joked saying okay, if you're really here, give us a movie to watch. In response, the TV turns on the movie Get Out. After a few seconds, the TV switches to a second film, no one gets out alive I know, I feel like it sounds ridiculous. On Saturday, my sister was studying in her bedroom and comes out to her roommates freaking out, they were watching a movie on Netflix and the screen switches to a new profile for Ashley, spelled correctly. It then opens the search bar within the profile and starts typing, note, the text is being input at about the speed you could type on a keyboard, but faster than being typed using a Roku remote, Jennifer don't leave me Jennifer is one of her roommates, and by coincidence or not, works at a local hospital and is friends with a girl who knew Ashley. Part of me feels like she, Ashley, is protective in a way, dead bolting the door late at night, telling the random boy to get out, but those could in a way also be interpreted as malicious. My sister is literally sick and tired of the situation and she has to move, but also if it is Ashley, and she is looking for help, my sister's heart hurts for her. On to the apartment complex, they are insistent that my sister and her roommates are not in the apartment where Ashley was murdered. One of the roommates went to the office and asked, and they said they were not legally required to disclose that information, Texas state law. My parents are on their way to visit or help her get situated in the Airbnb, but does anyone have any thoughts or info? Any advice? Literally anything is appreciated. So I want to preface this by saying this is a true story and the events I'm going to describe happened on a couple different occasions. 
A friend and I had been driving home from shopping when she started to feel sick. Now it was nighttime at this point and dark and we're on a rural, poorly lit highway, still about 45 minutes from home, but she had started to get really nauseous and asked if we could pull over, so I did. I pulled over at the nearest turnout, which happened to be next to a huge field with a small house in the distance. Now I'm shitting myself the second I pull over because I've seen enough horror movies to be paranoid about these kinds of places, but she bails out of the car and starts walking towards the field, heaving. I'm sitting there kinda looking around and keeping my eye on her when she asks me for a bag for the rest of the car ride home. I oblige and get out to the car, going to the trunk and start to dump out one of the grocery bags. Now what's weird is there should have been a lot more noise. Yes it's dark and there aren't many passing cars but there are no dogs barking, no crickets, nothing. I finish with the grocery bag and I'm just standing at the trunk watching her. She's in front of the field, there's also a shallow ditch in front of her, full of water which I remember being odd cause it hadn't rained in a while, there was also an orchard to her left. I remember her looking down at the water then yelling to me did you hear that? We need to go. Like now. We both bolt back to the car, lock the doors and drive off. What she heard was a loud shriek, a cry. And it was getting closer and closer to us. We had both felt something watching us too but never saw anything. A few nights later, completely different place, we were having a bonfire. It was me, her and her sister outside by the bonfire. Now it's summer and we're talking 12 to 1 o'clock. We were all having a good time. Laughing, joking around and listening to music and dancing when all of. Sudden the vibe just kinda changed. We all got uneasy. My friend and her sister looked at each other and were like um do you feel that? And if we all got the sense we were being watched. We ran back to the house so fast. We talked about when we got there. How maybe it was the same thing she heard that night at the field. She was worried it had followed us home somehow. That's when she tells her sister about the sound she heard of make. Her sister's eyes got wide and she begins to tell her about the other night we she also heard a noise like that. She said it was so loud it woke her and her dad up. She thought it was a baby crying and wailing or an animal and wrote it off. We're not really sure what it is or was. I just know that I've never felt that uneasy before. It was a scary feeling. She thought I wouldn't believe her when she began telling me but I do. It's crazy and unexplainable bit I swear to God that there was something out there those nights. It can't be a coincidence either can it? That two separate nights, at completely different locations that they heard this thing? My friend was also worried because it seems that this thing keeps getting closer and closer. Let me know if you've had any encounters like this? Or heard anything that you think sounds like what I've described? This happened in California in the mountains. I'm 17 years old, I know what you're thinking. It's just this kid's imagination. Just let me tell this story and you can decide if you think it's real or not. It was mid-December to late December 2020 in central Pennsylvania I honestly didn't think we had any skinwalkers here until now. Here's the story. I was at my family cabin hunting like most Pennsylvania do in December. I was going to be there for two weeks with my dad, brother and grandfather. 
We arrived the first day at 4.45 p.m. So we still had some hunting light left so we grabbed our rifles and headed out. We got some light snow in the morning so we could see the tracks easier but enough to get stuck or lost. We walked for roughly 5 minutes. When we finally came across some tracks there were two sets and some scat we could tell by the size of the scat one was a buck. My brother and dad went after one set of tracks and me the other I followed the tracks always till the brush was getting too thick for me to see past 30 yards so I decided to sit up against a tree with my rifle about 15 minutes later I was eating a snack bar and drinking water when it sounded like I went deaf no noise the whole wood sounded quiet when I heard a loud church and pop of sticks and leaves. Sounded way too heavy to be a deer but couldn't have been a bear since we didn't see many in the winter. The one way I knew something was right was the awful smell of meat that sat in the sun for two weeks. Five minutes later everything was still very quiet when I suddenly got this feeling of being watched. Now I don't get scared easily but I got up, packed all my stuff up, grabbed my gun and walked slowly looking behind me every few yards. When I finally got back to camp it was 5 semicolon 54 roughly and it was dark. I saw my brother, dad and grandfather sitting around the campfire eating hot dogs and beans. I pulled up a chair and go zero tea and a hot dog and started to eat it when my dad asked did you see anything? I sat and thought for a minute no nothing but snow and birds. Thinking it was a good idea to hide what I smelt and heard. Later that night when I laid down I thought about it some more and texted a family friend he was 49 maybe 50 the smartest outdoorsman I knew I texted him hey, so I had a weird experience in the woods today. He texted back what happened son? I said this terrible smell like I've never smelled before in these really big foot. Hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag, say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Footsteps way bigger than a deer he said smell? What kind of smell? I said like someone left meat out in the sun for days he texted oh I was worried you would say that. Let me tell you a story. So I was 27 in 1999 and I was hunting deep in the backwoods I was sitting there for some time when this smell overcame me smelled like rotting flesh and everything went silent I couldn't see anything but about 15 minutes later I heard some say my name and say come here the only part was it was my mom's voice clear as day the thing is she died two years ago I ran and never looked back and never hunted there again I dropped my phone from pure shock I pulled my blankets up and went to be I didn't want to move. I had a terrible nightmare of a deer that wasn't really a deer chasing me and I feel and right before he attacked me I woke up sweating and screaming. Day 2. We went out for our second day of hunting and I walked to a tree stand we put up that summer. I got in and about an hour or so later everything went silent and I heard the walking again and the smell was back the only difference this time is I could see it. 
raggy skin almost like it didn't fit no tail skin on the face was dropping way down below where it should be I pulled up my gun shaking like never before looked down the scope and shot it twice it ran so fast into the bushes while screaming and crying like crazy. Five minutes later my dad radioed me asking if I got one I said well I shot something that looked like a deer. I, I don't know what it was please just get here as I dropped my radio to the ground. My brother dad and grandfather all came with their guns 15 minutes later I was still in the tree stand shaking they had to help me down from it. They asked me what I shot and I said I think it was a doe butt. It was different I told them what it was they didn't believe me which I don't blame them it was crazy to think I barely believed myself. And the scariest patriot of it all happened. We all heard our mom's voices say our name and say where are you yeah that's right we all heard our own mom say the same thing my grandfather heard we my dad his and my brother and I ours. We all looked at each other and got out of there and then we heard a baby crying we felt bad but had to go we knew it wasn't real. We got to the cabin and while we were packing we heard a thud. I opened the door with rifle in hand and saw two dead rabbits on the porch with their stomachs ripped out. We got out of there ran to the truck rifle still in hand we got in and drove fast as we could that was the longest ride ever. We sold the property since none of us would go back. The new owners have had it for roughly a year and now just started having problems. Should we tell them what happened to us? Hi everyone. Haven't posted here since my weird little hike whilst in my halls last year in New England, where I got freaked in New Hampshire. Anyway just again for background. I am basically a true Londoner, lived west for 25 years, but before that lived in a small village in Buckinghamshire, UK, where I could basically write a book about the weirdness that happened in the countryside there throughout my childhood. The UK has some very spiritual, ancient and pagan sites scattered basically everywhere. Anyway this latest backwoods creep of mine didn't actually happen in the wilds but actually on the doorstep of London. I will set the scene. I go walking or hiking at every opportunity I get, even though I live in the city, but I still find interesting walks wherever I can. In London or further afield. One of my faves is a little 12k trek from Rickmansworth in Bucks to Uxbridge a London suburb, along the canal. Even though it's busy at either end of the hike, it gets very desolate and quiet when it travels through the Cone Valley Regional Park. And I have never seen anyone within about a 6k trek every time I do the walk. Just to let everyone know, I do believe in the sinister elements of the countryside such as Pan etc so. Anyway each time I have done this walk I get to a spot where I just basically feel scared and uncomfortable but can't put my finger on it. Each time I have heard a very weird hollow knocking despite there being just fields on either side. Last time was the worst though. I entered the area knowing I would feel apprehensive for a good 1 to 2k and would hear the knocking but this was different. I got totally overwhelmed with pure panic. I literally could hear someone or something walking in the undergrowth parallel to me, to the point I stopped and ventured into the hedges to look. Of course nothing there. I started walking again and again could hear footsteps parallel to mine. I ended up getting a totally panicked and ended up in tears as I was so scared. It only stopped when I came across a few narrow boats moored on the canal. Again, I can't stress enough that this stretch of canal is absolutely full of fear and dread, 
And I can't explain. I do think it's Pan and the primeval fear that can surround a person as an aside. Even though the UK is tiny, we have amazing countryside and legends that surround it. It's a great place to hike. A few years ago, my mom and I were driving home around 3 a.m. As we turned onto my street, I was looking out the window and noticed the back of a super tall, lanky, whitish-gray, hairless figure walking between two houses and about to disappear behind them. I distinctly remember seeing its spine because it was hunched over and incredibly skinny. Although I was initially freaked out, I considered the late hour and thought I might have been seeing things. I stayed quiet, and my mom continued driving. A moment later, my mom turned to me and exclaimed, what the heck was that? My heart sank as she had seen it too. According to her, when we turned onto the block, her high beams illuminated it. Its eyes glared like an animal's when the light hit it, revealing big, sharpish teeth as it grimaced angrily at us before turning and walking away. She described the same body and walking manner as me and mentioned that it turned away from us and disappeared behind the houses. We were both terrified and unsure of what we had witnessed. My mom also mentioned that earlier, on her way to pick me up, she had seen several deer, but on our way back when we saw the mysterious figure, there were no deer in sight. I live in a suburban part of New Jersey with woods around, and this experience has left us frightened. My mom, in particular, has never been scared like this before, especially considering that she saw its face. Does anyone have any idea what we might have seen? Let me preface this with the fact, my family has been in the Ozarks of Missouri or Arkansas since before the Civil War. It is a weird and wonderful place with a lot of characters living in it. We're very rarely scared, running through these woods, but it is probably due to the fact we know the weird woods and the oddballs who live in it. Our version of Missing 411, is some yee-hoo getting too drunk on green whiskey and passing out under a tree for a day after leaving the bootleg still set up in a cave. Yes, an elderly woman was arrested a couple of years ago for running a moonshine operation. Meth changed a lot of people here but even if you run into somebody cooking it in the woods, wet weather creek beds and mountain dew are their favorite, just greet them and continue on your way because they'll be gone in half a day. In the early 80s my brother, Steve, age 16, went to northern Missouri, Flatland, with his best friend, Mike, to visit his relatives who were farmers. We grew up to be rather independent, driving a car by age 12 was the status quo among country kids, so aside from being required to go to church, we were pretty much allowed to do what we wanted and it sounds like it was no different for them there. They had a lot of fun, goofing around, and had great stories of what they did, but one story sticks out in my mind. Late one night they were in my brother's old, hot-rod Mustang driving down the long, straight and narrow dirt roads of farm country, we live in the Rocky Hills, when the road became a very tight one lane with the fence lines so overgrown with trees they were a canopy over the road. It can be odd to see overgrown roads in that area because fertile, flat land is a precious commodity. He said they were creeping along because they didn't want to run into a dead end with a fence and tear the car up, headlights were definitely not the same as now, and something just seemed funky. Along the lane, 
they passed a drive with a chained up wire hog panel as a gate. In the moonlight, they could see an old two-story farmhouse that had collapsed in on itself with the traditional big barn beside it looking like it was going to do the same at any time. There wasn't a pole light that most people keep around, only the moonlight. They continued on as the road seemed to get even more overgrown, talking about whether they should just attempt to back up the half mile to the farm's driveway and turn around. Finally, they could see ahead that the road opened up to some sort of a clearing and as they pulled into it, the road suddenly ended at an old iron gate with a makeshift sign reading Coon Cemetery, they were at a graveyard. By this time, they had spooked themselves out. They were somewhat lost and had just creeped down some overgrown road to end up at a graveyard in the middle of the night. Steve managed to turn the car around and head back, going a little more quickly than before. As they started nearing the driveway to the rundown farm, they could just make out something very tall and glowing white in the driveway of the old place. As the headlights hit the drive and the apparition, they realized it was a ghostly white, giant, old man, around 6 foot 4 inches, standing by the side of the road, wearing only pants and no shoes, just calmly waving at them. Still, nary a light but the moon. They hightailed it out of there and they both could have cared less if he scratched his car or not. He told us that over 30 years ago and I've never forgotten it. LOL When I worked at a camp in Colorado, we used to do astronomy nights. It would get really dark because the location was pretty remote. One night when a couple of the other interns and I were setting up for stargazing, we heard a noise that sounded like a human making a funny cat sound. We thought it was our boss because it was right by his cabin, but no matter how much we yelled back thinking he was messing with us it continued the exact same way. The next week, we saw something running back and forth and crouching behind some cars parked in a field. It looked like an incredibly tall man. Aside from that, we'd smell funky smells randomly all over campus. Weird stuff would happen all the time, kids would act super weird in the middle of the night, and interns would hear weird animal sounds outside the windows that didn't really sound like animals. Thoughts? Edit, for context, this was a closed campus in an incredibly rural town. The man running couldn't have been someone from our camp, everyone was accounted for, and it couldn't have been an outsider unless they had walked miles and jumped many electric property line fences. When the figure was running, it almost looked like something on it was shiny, like its eyes or something. When we saw a tiny flashing gleam is when we first noticed that something was moving, then we saw the figure. Kids would also run up to me on the way down the path to stargazing saying they saw someone or something running through the trees. I don't have any horrible stories since I avoid situations that set me on edge. However, one experience or situation did come to me recently. I live in MS which is home to a majority of the Natchez Trace. The Trace is a 440 mile long highway between Nashville and Natchez that runs parallel to a Native American trade route used by Southeastern Native American tribes. During the 1700 and 1800s, it was one of the most influential and dangerous trade routes in the southeast due to its connection with the eastern states and the MS River. Now, it's a protected state park or roadway system, think Appalachian Trail. 
It's not a preferred route for travel since it's two lanes with speeds only up to 55 miles per hour and there has been the occasional crime occur due to its remoteness and lack of authorities. But it's really pretty lands when you're driving for the heck of it. 25 years ago, we lived in North MS, but the rest of our families lived in South MS. It just so happened that a small time of the trip went along the trace. My mom did a lot of these trips by herself with three kids, only five years between oldest to youngest. Most of the drive feels normal and safe, however, there's one area that made nervous at 10 and makes me nervous at 30. It's called Witch Dance. Witch Dance is a walking or biking trail around 230 miles from Natchez. The legend says that there are patches of burnt or brown earth that will never grow in that area due to witches dancing in the trees. It's probably a made-up story, but there are random patches of brown grass no matter the season. It never grows. And, 26 years since I first drove past the stop, I still get a cold feeling down my back when I imagine turning back to the trees there. It just never has sat right with me. I don't like it. It was a chilly autumn morning in northwest Oregon and the dense mist that often blanketed the landscape lent an eerie atmosphere to the surroundings. I was sitting with my friend, Mark, on the porch of his childhood home, sipping coffee and reminiscing about the peculiar incident that had left an indelible mark on his childhood. Mark began the tale with a nostalgic smile, his eyes reflecting the innocence of the eight-year-old boy he once was. The incident unfolded on their sprawling property, a vast expanse of land atop a hill that overlooked the scenic beauty of Oregon. His mom had just left for work, the front door closing with a soft click behind her, leaving Mark alone in the house. As any curious and adventurous child would, Mark decided to explore the expansive hillside property. The thick fog clung to the trees, creating an almost mystical atmosphere. He scampered up the hill, his small sneakers crunching the fallen leaves beneath. The world seemed to shrink around him as he ascended to the top, where the hill plateaued into a vast playground of nature. Engulfed in his playful reverie, Mark suddenly heard a voice, distant yet familiar, calling out to him. Mark, sweetie, come here. The voice, tender and maternal, echoed through the crisp morning air. Confusion etched across his face as he turned towards the sound. It couldn't be his mom, she had just left for work a few minutes ago. As he stood there, a perplexed eight-year-old on the precipice of the hill, the voice persisted. Mark, come on, honey. This time, the call seemed to carry an urgency that sent a shiver down his spine. His innocent eyes scanned the surroundings, seeking the source of this mysterious beckoning. He hesitated, unsure of whether to respond. The voice continued to echo, seemingly originating from the dense fog that enveloped the hill. A mix of curiosity and trepidation gnawed at him. What if it was someone in need? What if it was his mom, despite the logical impossibility? As Mark cautiously approached the edge of the property, the mist thickened, creating an ethereal barrier between him and the unseen caller. He strained his eyes, attempting to pierce through the fog. The voice, now laced with an otherworldly quality, persisted, weaving a delicate web of uncertainty around him. A sense of foreboding crept over him, and he halted in his tracks. 
The realization struck him like a sudden gust of wind, this wasn't right. With a mix of fear and instinct, he retraced his steps, the fog swallowing the haunting voice as he descended the hill. Reaching the safety of his home, Mark peered back at the misty hilltop, the mysterious voice now lost in the cold morning air. The incident remained etched in his memory, a cryptic puzzle that time could not erase. To this day, he couldn't shake the feeling that something inexplicable had called out to him that fog-laden morning, atop the hill of his childhood home in northwest Oregon. I was once camping with the Boy Scouts as you do when you're 16. My friends and I went off the beaten path at around 9 at night. Miles from camp and anyone else. We were kind of rule breakers, so no one knew where we were or what we were doing. Anyway we were walking with our one flashlight between the four of us and my friend holding it goes did y'all hear that? He shines the light behind us but there's nothing there. This repeats as we keep hearing something, like twigs and leaves crunching. We stop one last time. It's dead quiet. Suddenly on all sides of us there's howling. I'm talking the gray, wolfman howling in every direction, in front behind, all sides. With one flashlight we follow the person in front sprinting through the woods like our lives depended on it. It was terrifying. I was on a deployment in the Navy back in 2008 and part of my job was to stand on top of the boat and look for other boats. Boring as shit. So at night, naturally I spent a healthy amount of time either masturbating or looking at the stars. One of these nights at around 2, mind you. At 2 a.m. in the middle of the ocean it's dark and I mean real dark, I was staring at some portion of the night sky, transfixed on a few stars when one of said stars moved. I can't be sure if it was moving before it caught my eye but if I had to answer it say it was stationary before it shot in one direction. Any other time I woulda wrote it off as a shooting star, most nights I would see 7, but this one changed its direction. So much so that it was unnatural, almost at a 90 degree angle. I'm no astrologer, but that shit doesn't happens. I was dumbstruck for a second, and after a few moments I call it up to the bridge. I reported it as an unidentified flying object, bearing some degree from the ship. Now if it was any other officer on the bridge got this report I'd probably be in trouble, but this one knew me on a personal level and came out to talk to me, to sift through my bullshit. After giving a pretty convincing story with a im serious, bro attitude, he went back to the bridge and got me the longitude and latitude of where we were and I think I still have that to this day. I can tell you off the top of my head that it was at the Red Sea, and I honestly believe it was some form of life beyond us. Few years back I was a marine reservist, my particular job involves being outdoors a lot, especially at night in the middle of nowhere. We never saw anything super spooky but did have some interesting things happen. This particular drill weekend we go up to a lake in North Georgia. We are going to be doing some amphib stuff and a training patrol. This was the first and only time in my six-year contract that we weren't doing this sort of thing on a military installation. We were out on a public lake and going to be patrolling through private properties. Apparently higher-ups had informed local police and residents, 
but I'm not exactly sure how effective they were in that. We were all excited because for the first time we were really going to be using stealth skills and facing credible compromise, instead of headquarters playing bad guys coming to find us after we give our current GPS coordinates over the radio. Anyway, we load up on the Zodiacs about midnight and ride for about 30 minutes. We slip into the water and fin to our designated spot where we cache our safety vests and fins, booties, etc. It's about 1am on a Friday night. We start patrolling toward our objective and realize we are pretty close to some houses along the edge of the lake. We can't see them, but we can see light coming off of them over the hill, etc. It's early summer, it's been dry, and there are vines everywhere. We are trying to be quiet but we have a dude carrying a sniper rifle, a guy with a law rocket trainer t-boned across the top of his ruck, and it's dark as balls. We are snagging vines everywhere, crunching leaves, making way more noise than we want to. We hear voices down at a private dock about 150 meters away and see a boat rounding the corner. It looks like a pontoon boat they were partying on, has all the little party lights set up and some quiet music playing. We decided to go a little deeper into the woods and try to move around them because we don't want to wait for them to dock the boat and walk up to the house. Apparently they hear us because the music cuts off, they kill the engine, and spotlights start shining up in the woods. We freeze and wait, lights go out. We wait about 20 minutes and try moving very slowly. Spotlights immediately come back on, boat has drifted closer. We wait about 30 more minutes and try moving again, this time floodlights come on at the top of the hill where the house is. Faintly coming up from the water I hear somebody yelling I'll shoot. I was scared to piss. We are way out in redneck country and I can only imagine what somebody would do if late at night they saw six men with military uniforms, faces painted, rucks, night vision goggles, and ARs in their backyard. Probably think the Russians were invading and unload with the old 3206 lol. We have M4s, yes but never get ammo on training missions, and we are in the wrong regardless. I specifically remember my team leader circling us up and hissing, these people are trying to F us and we aren't gonna let it happen. We ended up out waiting them and slipping around, no harm no foul. So glad we didn't get shot at by some good Americans doing their civic duty. Later that same op, we had just settled into our hide site as the sun was coming up and were doing all the stuff associated with that. We were about a mile from any house at this point, deep in the woods. Shortly after sunrise I'm leaned up against my ruck trying to get some sleep while team leader gets all his shit done, and we all hear footsteps. Everyone freezes, then starts slowly packing shit up in case we have to run. About 50 yards away I see this middle-aged guy come trotting through the trees. He's white, average height, slight gut, balding and sweaty as f. Weird thing about him is he's way out here running through the open woods wearing some dirty khaki slacks, a gray wife beater, and some black dressy shoes. He's also filthy with what looks like engine grease, like he's been working on a car. We sat in our little ditch and watched him run past us, he came within about 20 to 30 feet of us but was totally oblivious. Never saw him after that. Still wonder what the hell he was doing out there and how funny it would have been if he had ran up in the middle of us.
In all my many hours in the woods all over this country he's probably the most mysterious thing I've encountered. This story is from a friend's grandfather. He told us that around 1970 or so he was on a boat sailing around Alaska. They were a crew of photographers or journalists or something like that. Anyway, at some point it got late so they decided they should dock. The ship stopped suddenly, with the docks visible 3 to 4 kilometers away. The ship's captain, actually a friend and teammate, passed out flat on his back. Anyway they tried to wake him up but then the lights started to fade, as if the power generator was giving out. It was near when the captain started to find his senses where they heard a massive noise, like a whale's wailing but it was like it filled the whole area. They creeped the F out, but calmly they fixed everything and set sail for the docks. The last weird thing happening was them seeing the waves foaming from massive herd of profish, I think, that were swimming violently in the direction of the ship. After they settled in the room they were staying they asked the captain what happened, but the only thing he could explain is that he felt funny and his ears buzzed and lost his senses. The annual family road trip from Scotland to Switzerland was a tradition deeply embedded in our summer vacations. The adventure was always peppered with scenic landscapes, charming pit stops, and the thrill of experiencing different cultures. However, one particular journey remains etched in my memory, not for its picturesque vistas or cultural escapades, but for an eerie encounter at the Swiss border. Our journey progressed seamlessly as we traversed through England, hopped onto the Channel Ferry, and spent a night in Calais. The next day, with the Swiss Alps beckoning us, we resumed our drive. The road unwound ahead of us, weaving through quaint villages and rolling hills. However, a hiccup emerged in the form of unexpected roadworks, causing a slight delay in our meticulously planned itinerary. As dusk cloaked the landscape, we approached the Swiss border, our excitement mingled with the weariness of a long day's drive. The border crossings were usually routine affairs, mere checkpoints with a handful of guards conducting a swift inspection of the vehicles. The open borders within the European Union meant no passport checks, making the process quick and hassle-free. Our tired but eager caravan pulled up to the checkpoint in the darkness, expecting the routine inspection to facilitate our seamless entry into Switzerland. However, a peculiar scene unfolded before us, the checkpoint was deserted. Not a single soul manned the station, and an eerie silence hung in the air. The buildings, typically illuminated in the evening, stood in complete darkness. It was an unusual sight, and a chill ran down my spine as I scanned the area. Despite the apparent abandonment, signs of life were scattered around. Jackets were casually draped over chairs, indicating an abrupt departure. The glow of a television flickered from within the main building, a stark contrast to the lifeless surroundings. My dad, who had taken the wheel for this leg of the journey, slowed down to a crawl but didn't come to a complete stop. The unsettling ambience prompted an instinctual reluctance to linger in this deserted checkpoint. As we rolled through, the silence enveloped us, and a palpable tension filled the car. No explanation presented itself for the unattended border post. It was an enigma, a strange interlude in our routine pilgrimage to Switzerland.
We passed through without incident, the border disappearing into the rearview mirror as the night swallowed its mysteries. To this day, the memory lingers as a perplexing anomaly, a chapter in our family's travel saga that defied explanation. The deserted Swiss border checkpoint, with its silent buildings and unattended posts, remains a lingering mystery, a whispered story of the night our journey took an unexpected turn into the unknown. I had a regular patch of government woods in a river bottom where a buddy and I would go hunting for feral hogs. We would walk in, find fresh sign, freshly rooted ground and feces, then try to track them to their bedding areas. It was generally accepted that it was a bad idea to go alone, as waking hogs in their bedding areas can get pretty dangerous. On the day of a planned hunt my buddy cancelled. I had my day pack ready and my vehicle loaded. I decided I would just go alone. I began my walk into the woods in high spirits. About two miles and I found fresh sign. A lot of it. It was a cool morning, and steam could be seen rising from the fecal matter. There was wet mud caked at varying heights at the base of many trees, indicating a large sounder of pigs. I followed the sign, and passed through several sloughs that wound through the river bottom. I had the entire place mapped out on my smartphone GPS, but found myself going deeper in than we had previously been. Pigs can cover ridiculous amounts of ground, and hours later I was still stalking them. Thick cloud cover set in and I lost my service. No big deal, I always mark my trail as a backup. I happened upon an area where there was a large amount of sawtooth oak. The ground was spattered with blood and chunks of flesh with pig hair still attached. I found the full length of a pig tail that had been ripped off in a fight over the abundant acorns. I estimated I had two hours until dark and decided I had better just head back. Being stuck in that swamp in the dark alone didn't seem appealing. I didn't make it very far before a heavy downpour started. So heavy I could barely see. My choices were limited. Try to plot on and get out of there, or wait for the rain to stop so I could see my trail markers better. Not knowing when the rain would let up I chose the former. Big mistake. I quickly found myself turned around and lost my trail. Not yet panicked, I broke out the compass and began making my way north toward the river. I hit a slough, crossed it. Hit another and crossed it. Then another. What the f I said aloud as I hit the fourth slough. I didn't cross this many in rapid succession on my way in. I was getting nervous by now, and visibility was vanishing rapidly. Suddenly the sound of scuffling earth and the squeals of fighting hogs broke out about 50. Yards out. Dark was descending on me and I couldn't see them. My flashlight was useless. The cover was too thick. I shouldered my rifle and drew my .357 Magnum with a 6 inches barrel. Should I fire a shot to scare them off? Fire 3 as an SOS in case there were other hunters around? Option 1. I fired a round into the dirt. The squeals and scuffling stopped. Dead silence. Shouldn't I have heard them run off? Maybe the wet mud silenced their exit. I moved forward slowly holding both my flashlight and revolver in front of me. I stumbled into a wallowing area. I scanned the mud, viewing hog prints of many sizes. Several bigger than my closed fist. Damn it. 
An angry, guttural groan sounded to my left. I positioned a large oak between myself and the sound and shined my flashlight in its direction. Nothing. Then I saw it. The base of a cypress tree, cut up from the rubbing of tusks. The marks were over two feet up the trunk. Big boar. The scuffling started again, this time ahead of me, in the direction I had to go. Slowly, I moved on, always keeping large trees in my path in case I got charged. Long moments of silence were occasionally broken by snorts, squeals, grunts and scuffling. It was as though they knew where I was going and were intent on staying just ahead of me. Three hours after dark I finally reached the river and followed it back to my truck. I experienced a pretty big adrenaline crash when I got there, and never conducted another solo hog hunt in those woods.